Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? If you make yourself more than just a man, the figure in the dark was my destiny. If you devote yourself to an ideal, I've got to strike fear in them from the start. Then you become something else entirely. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. What are you? I'm Batman. Welcome to Bat Month, a special presentation of the Dork Knights dedicated to the many incarnations of one of the greatest superheroes of all time. As part of this dynamic duo, I am your host, MB, and joining me is the Bullock to my Gordon, the Joker to my Harley, and the Killer Croc to my Rock, Birdman. Good evening, Dork Knight. Good evening, Bird Wonder. How have you been? I have been fine, um... I'm kind of glad that we're moving on from the last episode. We've kind of we we need we we kind of got a little dirty, plunging into the world of cod pieces and nipples and things like that. And I think we're we're tainted. Yeah, we're tainted. Uh, we'll, Our souls need cleansing. We're tainted in it's like a wordplay. We're tainted in the sense that we are tainted, dirty, you know, smudged. But tainted is in the sense that it's like Schumacher rubbed his taint on us. Yeah, yeah, we're we're all unpleasant smelling, just yeah. like Joel Schumacher's taint. Oh God, I I did not want to start this off that way. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we got the four main live action films, like the four first. I would say in an entire franchise. Yeah, well, almost. Yeah, I guess you'd call them a franchise. Yeah, but I just feels like. The one franchise, two eras, mm-hmm. because you know obviously the, the the difference in the style and tone of the films. Oh yeah, know. yeah. But, it's like, well, like you said, it did feel like a natural progression. It just like it was so just a stark contrast. Burton obviously had his own ideas compared to Schumacher. Honestly, that's something that happened. That would happen with any change in director. Yeah, obviously. And as we'll get into, another director came along and added his own style. Some bloody Brit. Yeah, but here's the thing. You know, going back to through all the iconic versions of Batman, you know, the the versions that you remember the most as a child, mm-hmm. and the, the ones that have stood the test of time, there's one that actually has arguably stood the greatest and possibly the most well-beloved and well-received version. Yeah. For me, honestly, it trumps, almost trumps the Burton films as a whole. You know, this 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 whole, this thing as a whole compared to the Burton films. You know, it almost trumps the Burton films. Like, you know, nothing's going to, for me, nothing's going to surpass Batman 89 by itself. Yeah. But as a whole, you take the Burton films with this, it's, I think it's better, honestly. Well, yeah, I think the thing is, is that with Burton, it's like it's a nostalgia reason that we yeah, that's, yeah, we that both, we put it above quality wise, and yeah, the, we both admitted that, yeah, yeah, and the layer that it added to the character is just staggering. And the fact of the matter is, this is the only version we're going to talk about that isn't in live action, and that's how good it is. It trumps the idea of a simple live action exploration of Batman. It 
deserves its own way in because it's so iconic, because it's so impactful. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about the Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett, you know, multiple people on the crew interpretation of the character in Batman the Animated Series, Batman the New Adventures, uh, the Batman and Robin Adventures, you know, Batman Beyond, Justice League. I mean, it. this character went on for... Not only was it the most impactful, it went on for so many years that it's the longest-running version of the character ever done. Oh, yeah, and, you know, the guy... Kevin Conroy, the voice actor for Batman, he's been doing Batman now, off and on for 20 years, and he's been doing it like in what, at least a half a dozen shows, video games, any convention he goes to, they said, do the Batman voice. The guy has got to make tons of money at this point off of it. Like, if you added up all of his paychecks from every time he's voiced Batman, like, he would easily be almost as rich as Bruce Wayne. Pretty much. And, you know, interesting, and we've talked about this before, but if you look at him, like, especially like back in the 80s, mm-hmm. he could have made a, probably a decent Bruce Wayne in a live action film. Yeah, earlier on, for sure. Like now, he, yeah. he's definitely aged quite a bit. But, I mean, vocally, there's no comparison. And it's often said, it's a, almost a cliche at this point, but it's like if you read a comic book and you're a huge Batman, the voice that you hear coming out of the word balloons whenever you read Batman's dialogue, if it's written well, is Kevin Conroy. Because, you know, I think partially because those words are written, you can read them clearly and intelligibly. If Batman's muttering or you're mumbling, then it's Bale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Kevin Connery is just, for me, he is Batman. Like, he is Batman and he is Bruce Wayne. Even if he's never played him in live action, he never will. He doesn't need to play him in live action. Yeah, because, you know, all you need is the visual of the character and his voice. And it's the, you believe he's Batman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people that were cast in that show are like that. Like, Ephraim Zimblis Jr., I still hear his voice. Yeah, I still hear his voice whenever I read Alfred's dialogue in the comics. Lauren Lester as Nightwing, or Robin as Dick Grayson, you know? Sometimes I kind of, like, with Batman, it's clearly defined for me, but, like, Sometimes, like, with Alfred and Dick, like, the voices I hear in my head are kind of like my own creations. It's me doing the voice, you know. Uh, Bruce, we have to go save Gotham City, you know. And it's like, yes, sir, I'll get your tights. It's just me doing the voice. <laughs> I read, I do the voices out loud when I read the comics. You're having your own adventure with Kevin Conroy's Batman. <laughs> Gee willikers, Kevin, let's go save the day. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, I wish I could do a Kevin Conroy impression. It's one of those voices that's so distinct that it's almost impossible to do it. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's got, like, we've talked about this before, when we've been doing impressions, our horrible, horrible impressions. There are certain people you can't really uh, imitate them as well because their cadence doesn't really, you know, make up for it. Like, you know, anybody can imitate uh, Christopher Walken because, you know, his voice and his style is so unique mm-hmm. that it's easy to do it. But, like, someone like Kevin Conroy, you can't do that. No, it's, it's just too deep and too very... I would say precise in the way he says things as Batman. Yeah. Like, that's that's always what struck me about his Batman voice is that you believe that this guy is the world's greatest detective because he says everything on such a key level and he says everything with such a seriousness. Yeah. Speaking of his voice, like a like a uh, 
flip side to some of the live action Batman's, uh, you can tell like there's a difference in his voice, like you know when he's Bruce Wayne, and when he's Batman. You know, he yeah. doesn't need to go over the top with it. Yeah, he honestly, I think he was the first one to ever make that distinction that Bruce Wayne and Batman would have a different voice because yeah. well, Michael Keaton. Well, he did it a little. Yeah, Michael Keaton did a little. I'll, I'll say that, but he was the one that really took it to the extreme and made it to the point where it was like, "Holy crap!" You wouldn't suspect his Bruce Wayne as Batman because he sounds, you know, he sounds personable and he sounds, you know, he sounds like a regular guy. And then his Batman is just this uber serious, dark, driven. It's perfect, honestly. Like I, I know that's a little mm-hmm. bit hyperbole to say, but with Kevin Conroy, yeah, it literally is perfect because there's no voice that's come since that's been quite as good. I mean, there have been great Batman that have come since, but none quite like Kevin Conroy. Yeah, and, you know, if you want to talk about his Batman, I don't think you can bring up his Batman in the sentence without bringing up his polar opposite, his equal oh, when it comes yeah. to the show. Uh, that was, of course, Mark Hamill as the Joker. Luke Skywalker as the Joker. Yeah, you know what? When you hear that, it's almost weird to imagine. Blue Skywalker, very much, you know, kind of a... He starts off as a whining teenage brat, then he eventually becomes, you know, Jedi and all that. But nothing would ever make you think he would be this demented clown that could be dark, funny, tragic. It's just fun to watch, really. Because the, um, the Joker on that series ran the gauntlet. Yeah, exactly like... I was watching something today about they were talking about, it was like a compilation like the Joker's laughs because mm-hmm. this way I've also heard, always heard Hamill talk about Andrews like he doesn't have like a standard Joker laugh no he has like he runs the gamut and one of the most frightening laughs I think he has is that one where he starts off like real low yeah and yeah. it gets higher and higher because that's when that's kind of like his intimidating like you know crazy laugh that's when he's about to do some stuff. Yeah, I remember a specific moment where I remember being utterly mesmerized by his laugh because it's that scene in the episode The Laughing Fish where he walks into that patent office and he takes off his hat and he just starts off really low and then it builds up and builds up to the point where it's just like manic. And he doesn't he never overdoes it. It's always so perfectly over the top. As much as big props to Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, like when you when you read like the same way with Kevin Conroy and Batman, when you read Joker in the comics, that's whose voice you're hearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of gone back and forth where I kind of I hear Hamill's voice mostly, but it's kind of got like a a little bit of a lower edge, like Ledger's. But it is mostly, and by and large, it is Mark Hamill, just because it's. Yeah, he's played the Joker as everything. He's played him as the demented killer. He's played him as the playful clown, the you know the psychologically driven supervillain. These two actors have played these roles so long that they've gotten to do everything and anything with these characters. Yeah, and they're still and... well. Kevin Conroy is still going. Mark Hamill kind of goes in between retiring and not retiring. Yeah, but yeah, like those guys, like their names have become synonymous with each other, and they've mentioned it before, you know. Mm-hmm. That that's how it is. I mean, honestly, I don't think if you're going to do a story like a Batman story, and you're going to get Batman and Joker, if you're going to get one, you have to get the other. That's just I think that's just how it has to be. Like I was like in Under the Red Hood, Elite, you know, they cast different Jokers, different Batmans. Both of them did great, and I like both of them, you know, just as much. 
I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them above Hamill and Conroy, but they both did the job great, and they did excellent. Yeah, right yeah, I, I get what you mean. But yeah, if you're gonna, like I said, if you're gonna cast one, you got to cast the other. I think. Yeah, it doesn't really work when when Conroy's against like you could never put him against like someone actually mentioned this to me like every Batman and Joker have been compatible with one another even in the live action movies like of course Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill but you couldn't put Kevin Conroy against Heath Ledger's Joker that wouldn't work nah. you can't put Kevin Conroy against Cesar Romero or Kevin Conroy against Jack Nicholson just like you can't put Christian Bale against Jack Nicholson yeah. or or Michael Keaton against Heath Ledger it's like it just they're actors that have been perpendicular to each other like they've been Opposite sides of the same coin, really. Yeah. And, and with with Conroy and Hamill, it's, like, taken to the extreme. Yeah, I think just mostly because, like, unwrestled, unlike the rest of the other actors out there who have played, you know, Batman, Joker, and one one thing, sometimes maybe two at the most, but um, they've just worked together off and on, like we said, for 20 years. That chemistry there, you know, that just... I know they don't always record together. Mm-hmm. But you know, just the way they play off each other, yeah, absolutely. I think it's something very unique. Just there's something that comes with time. Mm-hmm. And but, and there's such in their performances, they're such opposites too. Because you know, there's never a moment I th- don't think that Hamill comes across as incredibly serious when he's doing it, even when he's trying to be menacing and trying to be like. There's something about his the cadence of his voice that's still the playful clown, even behind all the menace and all the anger. Yeah, I can see that, because, like, you know, that's sort of, like, the heart of his character, that, you know? Yeah. Like I said, like I said before, he's a, he's a character that does horrible things in a silly way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the contrast to Batman, who's a guy who does serious things dressed in a silly manner, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just a... For my money, is the greatest hero and villain. Yeah, but before we get you know too stuck on Hamill and uh, yeah. Conroy, but the one thing though that is very awesome about the, I do want to talk about it briefly the uh, the rest of the voice cast they got for the anime series was I mean I can't think of one person who didn't do a good job. I know it's yeah. it's and they got gotta... I mean a lot of actors who were you know, the, like you know they got like Roddy McDowell to be the Mad Hatter. Yeah, you know they got uh, Ron Perlman as Clayface. Mm-hmm. And they and, got, uh, you know, uh, they got Bob Hastings as Commissioner Gordon, Tara Strong as Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, uh, Richard Mall as Two Face, absolutely, Diane Pershing as Poison Ivy, yeah, uh, Adrian Barbeau as Catwoman, and one of the more what will probably be Batman anime series legacy to Batman Mythos would be Arlene Sorkin as Harley Quinn, absolutely, absolutely, and not only Harley Quinn but. Uh, Renee Montoya. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I would say just because you know Harley. Yeah. Was the you know just I mean Renee's maybe yeah, jumped to yeah. comics, but yeah, I know. like not not the same impact that Harley has. I think. No, no, of course not. That's like the idea of Joker having like a groupie girlfriend, mall kind of thing. It's so perfect that I can't believe it didn't take him to like 1992 to figure out that you know what I mean this would actually work. And she makes such a great foil too. It's like she's almost. Joker's almost as much of an enemy to her as he is to Batman because he just, while she adores him and walks around in his footsteps, just like on hands and knees, he treats her at, like absolute garbage. Like he, exactly. you don't, 
you don't get the feeling that Joker loves her in that in the way he, he, she loves him and that's kind of the great thing about the relationship because it shows that even with romantic attachment the Joker is a cold-hearted you know psychopath yeah. yeah, like, you know, Joker slaps Harley around. It's great comic book reading. I slap a woman around, and also, now I'm the bad guy. <laughs> Damn the Georgia police. Them and their vendetta against one armed black men. <laughs> but yeah, I, the Harley character is. And not only that, but I think the best part is her origin, in that she starts off as a respectable doctor at Arkham Asylum. Honestly, Paul Dini is the single best thing to come out of that series to me because he's written so much great material for the actors to chew off of. Because yeah, well, he yeah. and he's also written the comics, you know, yeah. he's written and he created Harley. He's just such a driving force behind that series. Though he didn't I write would, a, he didn't write a lot of the episodes. Yeah. I would give some props to Bruce Tim just because maybe not he's not done as much comic stuff, but like, with the success of Batman the anime series it spun. That's what spun off into the whole DC animated universe, and he was a big guiding force behind all those shows and even the direct-to-video, you know, movies. Yeah, they're I, still coming out. The guy hasn't quit, and yeah, I guess you're right because Dini hasn't been involved with any of the direct animated series stuff, but or I mean the direct-to-video stuff. But yeah, Bruce Tim is still around. As we speak, they're making Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. But speaking of, like Bruce Timm, like the art style, that's one of the things I always found fascinating about like the anime series. That's something me and my brother have talked about a few times. Like, what time period is this set in? Because you see, like, the buildings are like you know they're very gothic and Art Deco, and the clothing is very reminiscent of like the 40s and 50s, and the guns and you know the cars. And but it's portrayed as maybe in modern times, which is a very like interesting approach to it- kind of. Yeah, and on, honestly, that's my favorite version of Gotham when it has that two-timeline thing going for it because they also did that, I noticed, in the first Batman movie. The only thing that was really 80s about it were the cars and the music. And, yeah, Prince. And the Nothing says 80s by Prince. Yeah, but the rest of it was like everyone was, was in fedoras and, yeah. and jackets. And it's the same with this series because this series was made around the time that the first Batman movie came out and was a huge um, success. Yeah, there's you see some influences of the Burton films, and just because like uh, the style and especially like the Penguin, their version of the Penguin. Yeah, though he wasn't nearly as disgusting. Which thank no, thank well of course it's a children's show, you know. Yeah, that's the thing though. It's like it's a children's show, but it never feels hampered down by it because you know they're allowed to fire fire guns and stuff. Yeah, I would say the only thing is that like you know like I'm, like the Joker, like yeah, they kind of toned down some of his like homicidal tendencies. But, well, here's the thing, though. Bruce Tim made the comment once that, well, we were never allowed to kill anyone with the Joker, but we gave them that dead grin. To yeah, all that's what I was going to say. Yeah, the grin. The, they, they never really say that they died, but yeah. That's but, just... but it's like, which in itself is almost worse. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, they, they kind of, they slid under the censor, but then they established something even worse than death, which is, which is amazing. But yeah, yeah I mean... Oh, the art style is just so great, and it's it's so perfect for Batman too, because like it's shadowed, but at the same time it's stylistic. That's the one thing that kind of bugs me about the Nolan movies is that Gotham City is too real. Yeah, too like reminiscent of our world, and I feel like Gotham should be more of a more like the animated series or the Burton films, mm-hmm. where it's like 
it's very much a place that exists in its own yeah. realm. Place like, like yeah, it's, it's it's not Chicago, it's not Pittsburgh, it's not New York. Yeah, it's, it's Gotham City. And but, then, uh, then you have the character designs, which I love yeah. uh, from the first one. The second one, like I like designs from that one, and then I prefer designs from the other one. It just depends on which character. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, case by case, like for me, I really enjoyed like the second read the Penguin, his yeah. version. They made him you know, a little more human, a little more close to his comic book counterpart. I didn't really care too much for like the way they changed the Joker. That's what something I heard Mark Hamill say that like his biggest complaint was yeah Joker needed lips. Yeah, yeah. And like they kind of they kind of gave him lips like later on when he appeared in Justice League, but they were kind of like black. Yeah, like like they kind of tried to rectify the design in the New Adventures yeah. with later incarnations and then. Then there was, like, the Return of the Joker, uh, the Batman Beyond one. Yeah. Which, I don't know if we should talk too much about Batman Beyond, because that's kind of its own thing, even. Well, I mean, I think we could talk about it briefly, just because it is the further continuation. I mean, it's all but been established, <laughs> right, that that is canon, that This, you know, with this version of Batman. Well, I mean, it flat out just is. Like, yeah. Like this Mr. Is the, Freeze, this is how the, you show up. Yeah, this is the one version of Batman that has a definitive future. Like, the other, the other, and, like, obviously for obvious reasons, a comic book can't have a definitive future. Yeah. Everything kind of has to be considered Elseworlds, but with this, it's like, no, this is what happens to Bruce Wayne when he retires being Batman. And not just that, but also, unlike the rest of live-action world, uh, movies, you see that Batman is part of a bigger universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, there's that's, more heroes out there than just him. Yeah, and he still retains everything that makes his character great in it. Which exactly. Is, they hired some really great writers on that show. Mm-hmm. I mean, great crew, great cast. Everything just kind of came together on that series. It was kind of like lightning in a bottle. You don't know. I've always like, wanted to. I've always wanted to get on DVD. You know. Yeah. Have you got it on DVD? Yeah, I have uh, the four seasons. You dick. I know, I know. But, you know, I am the Dork Knight, and I will be broken by the end of this, so you can take solace in that. <laughs> I broke you during the Schumacher films. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the beginning of the breaking. Yeah. Now else. it's time for the Knight to rise. Knight with a cape, so it did there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so much you can really talk about in these episodes, yeah. because, like, there's so many great episodes, too. And that's something that we talked about beforehand, like, all right, we know that if we try to just mention episodes, we'll be here for like three hours talking. We both decided like we try to narrow it down just a little bit to some of our like favorite episodes and a few a few honorable mentions. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna do like a sort of a top five, really. Yeah. And you know we have some choices that are the same, some that are different. I would say, but we we try to run the gamut of like the best to the best. So you want to start off? Sure. Um, I'll go. My five, I didn't really put them in any particular order because, you know, if they're the top five honorable mentions, they're all great, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, like, the first one that always comes to mind when I think of the anime series is Almost Got Them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the famous episode where the, uh, you know, group of Batman villains are sitting around talking about, you know, how they almost got Batman. And uh, this is just like. Like, pretty much very little of the story is actually set in the present. You know, it's mostly told through flashbacks and stuff, but it's just, a, like, a well-done character study. You see, like, 
the villains while they're bad guys, you know. <laughs> Even they need time off. Yeah, yeah, yeah for and, sure. And, you know, rather than go off and do their own thing, they all meet up for cards. It's kind of yeah, a, which is cool because, like, I like, like, the little touches, like Joker cheating at cards and, like, Two-Face, of course, is... He's drinking half and half. Uh, yeah. He's got two twos in his deck of cards. Yeah. All the delicious puns. Yeah, all the, all the, uh, just the overpronunciation that Penguin uses. Like, he, he's yeah. so, he's trying so hard to be an aristocrat. Yeah. And, like, I also like, uh, like when Penguin's telling a story, like, like his grand trap is called, like, the aviary of doom. Uh, they stop the story, like, wait, 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 wait. You actually called it that? <laughs> I just, and then he you know, says, okay, nice little... okay, it's my big birdcage. <laughs> like, yeah. dumb it down. Um, but there is one more of that group that takes the cake as far as appearances in that series. Yep. Killer Croc in that episode. Mm-hmm. Or, wait, Killer Croc with quotes around him. Yeah, parentheses, because, you know, yeah. there's a reveal. And a very well done reveal at that. Um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, like Killer Croc in his grand scheme of uh, almost <laughs> killing Batman. And, you know, it's the only one that's not shown in flashbacks. And <laughs> I mean, you know why when she tells the story? Because you know, like, <laughs> he was. I seen Batman at, down at the quarry, and I threw a rock at him. And then he just you pans, know, just cut, like, just all pans around villains. to all of them, and they're just staring at him blankly. And then Joker yeah. just—it was a big rock. And then Joker just turns to Two Face and says, "So, so how'd you, so how'd you get rid of that giant penny? They actually let him keep it. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> yeah, which is a nice little nod. Yeah, I think honestly, like, that was one of the that was probably the best written episode. Like, like I, the ones I chose are for like various reasons, but that was like the best script yeah. I thought because it had so much humor oh, yeah. and yet everyone was so on par with who they are and you all yeah exactly and at the end of the day you know Batman save, still saved the day in and, a great yeah, fashion I, I like like yeah and especially like at the end of Catwoman you know as he's jumping away you know almost got him and that's how yeah. the episode <laughs> ends mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah that, that's taking me back honestly thinking about that yeah um, but uh, what about you? Well, you know, it's usually it's kind of hard to pick a favorite, especially a series this good. But there's one that has stuck with me ever since I saw it. And it's probably one of the most controversial episodes, but at the same time, it's one of the best Batman stories I've ever experienced. Like, no, no matter what the medium is, comic books, movies, television shows, it is by far one of the most captivating things you will ever watch just because it presents the ultimate, like, taboo in Batman stories. You know, multiple taboos, in fact. And that is over the Yeah, edge. I mean, it... Yeah, because... Uh, over the age is like on my list as well um but uh i think one of the main reasons why i like it is you know me i'm a sucker for jim gordon and a competent jim gordon and just this episode kind of you know it deals with the ramifications of 
Jim Gordon hunting Batman. I mean, it's very much as much as it involves Batman and the family and the Bat family. It's also very you know poignant study at Gordon and like how little or maybe a lot it would take for him to finally you know, reach his limb with Batman. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, you know, they did so little. They they had so many characters to deal with that they honestly they kind of were forced to do a little with Gordon. Like, he's there to present the case to Batman and stuff, and he's there to occasionally be a cop. But you never really got many episodes that dealt directly with him. And this one was, yeah. like, his his story. Like, his... I mean, as much as it is Batman's story, too, because it really is Batman's... It's the, it's the destruction of the entire Batman legend, really. The, the story is about, yeah. you know, Batgirl is accidentally killed in the midst of a siege by the scarecrow and you know he surprises her and knocks her off the top of a building and then she her body lands on top of the squad car of you know Gordon and Bullock as they're coming to the scene and as she's laying there dying she reveals who she is you know Gordon on master and you know from there on it's like it's just it's the most gripping thing like it's the most I I don't know it's like the most it's the episode filled with the most drama I think yeah and and one of the testaments to the actual episode is that it starts off with a bang literally you know because you see the way the episode opens with you know police are raiding Wayne Manor you know Batman and Robin are running from their lives for their lives from and, Gordon. Yeah, they the police have stormed the Batcave and they're blowing you know all the artifacts up, trying to get Bruce Wayne and Robin because they're running towards like the Batmobile, and then you know the police having like a rocket launcher, they blow the Batmobile up. Like, yeah, it's just like nowhere, everywhere they turn, they're being hunted, and it's you know Batman's identity is exposed. Um, and I also like how like. It also makes a point to say, okay, well, Gordon wanted to know who Batman was. All he would have to do is, like, spend a couple minutes on his daughter's computer. Yeah, well, I, yeah, that was kind of interesting. But I like to think that, honestly, like, I've always liked the belief that in the back of his mind that Gordon knows or has a good idea that Bruce Wayne is Batman, you know? Oh, yeah, but in this in this one. Yeah, like, in, this, in this, yeah, I know. But um, conveniently, Barbara's got all the information on her computer. No, that's very, it's very risky. That's like that's almost on par with Alfred marching all the girlfriends down to the Batcave <laughs> in terms of security. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really have much <laughs> to add to that. But yeah, that episode, it just not only does it start off really tension-filled because you you know you really legitimately think this is going to be the end of Batman. It's like it just keeps ramping up because Nightwing gets involved and he gets captured by the police. Uh, the villains actually want to sue him, which is a really good scene where yeah. they're on TV. Yeah, like they're on. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, it's such it's so real if you think about it. Like, if you found out the guy who's been beating your brains out every night was this billionaire, that's the first thing you would do. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, know, you have once mad... once Batman has a face. Yeah. Exactly. I mean that that reinforces the need for the secret identity, and, exactly. And um, you know, it's they also have that great uh, what's his name. Uh, they have that great 
parody of that one guy, Johnny Johnny Cochran, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, if 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 the bat runs a spree, uh, Wayne must pay the fee or something like that. Yeah, and I want to say like when they're showing like all the villains, like of course they've all got them made up to look like they've been hurt. I want to say like it's a great moment, like you see, the ventriloquist is unharmed. Like Scarface is like got a like a sling on his arm or something. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think at one point like maybe I'm remembering this wrong, but Harley like is also kind of injured, and you see her actually like move her arm because <laughs> she's kind of a ditz. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, it, and then you know there's that really maybe one of the best fights of that entire show because. You know, at one point, all the allies are taken down, except Batman mm-hmm. and Robin. And Batman sends Robin off to, you know, run away on his own because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to deal with the implication that Robin may get arrested for what he did. Yeah. Uh, don't don't he tell him like, to turn himself in or something? Maybe I, I. I may be wrong. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's been a while since I watched it, but um. Yeah. But, you know he. Very much in a Batman-like fashion, he sets himself up to kind of take the fall because I think he does intend to keep fighting, but eventually Gordon, you know, sets him up in a trap at Barbara's funeral, no less, which proves just how driven Gordon is to. Yeah. Not only that, but like um, how desperate he's become. Like, sort of like you know, like we mentioned, sort of like the end of the Batman family, and it's also very much like showing you like what links Jim Jim Gordon might go to. You know, to yeah. actually stop Batman. Yeah, and it's never presented in a way where like Gordon is wrong because he has every reason mm-hmm. to be like this. You know, you would completely see his side. You completely see Batman's side. It's like there's 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 two sides, but they're both right in a way. Though Batman's is a little more wrong because he's a vigilante. But yeah, you know, well we can we can get into that another time. But um, you know, it sets up. I gotta say, The Dark Knight Rises has a lot to live up to because it sets up the greatest Bane-Batman fight that has ever been. Yeah. And probably ever um, will be. Even, even like, I rank it above when he broke Batman's back. Uh, um, I think it's a, like a, maybe a, like a good example of like how desperate Batman's become because he literally takes his cape off in the fight. Gets like a bunch of bricks and just starts beating Bane upside the head with them. Yeah, and... There's that one line, that amazing line, where Bane asks him, you know, are we going to fight to the death? And Batman just looks at him, just defeated, and says, it makes no difference. And he just doesn't hold back. Oh my god, that line. Yeah. Oh, so mean. And yeah, Connery this... does it so... That delivery. Oh, yeah. yeah, we're we're practically jizzing right now. But I'm crying. I'm crying. <laughs> that and the hat. Have got me. <laughs> the hat, it's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, holy crap. Um, but yeah, as you see at the end of the episode, those where the controversy kind of starts, or yeah, which, where some people have complained. Yeah, which I don't get because it's like, do you want to see Batman really like take the fall? Like, I think what, some what? people have their complaints are like. They thought, like, it was kind of very obvious, first off, that this was going to happen. You know, and this is to be expected, especially from the beginning, you know, oh, God, what's happened? You know, things didn't get back to normal at the beginning, but they kind of felt like it could have been managed a little bit better. Like, uh, 
like another episode that deals with sort of like an alternate reality. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess we can kind of see that, but I never really had a problem with it. Like, uh, me neither. I mean, I'm, that's why it's on my list, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for better or for worse, it's still like whenever you see like any top five list, it's still pretty much always on there, and I think it's. Yeah. Even regardless of the controversy, it's still the most pop, one of the most popular episodes ever to come out of the series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that one's my favorite easily. Um, but I love, I still love the others. Like it's just that one's just, just for, like, all the great moments, like all the big moments. Yeah. So, um, I guess as for me, one that I'll mention, I don't think this you had this one on your list. Um. But that would be Heart of Ice. No, I didn't. And um, that's not for any real reason, just mostly by process of elimination. But Yeah. Yeah, this is the episode that introduces Mr. Freeze. And yeah. not only introduces him, reinvents him. Exactly. Like, you know, up until the end, like, you know, we talked about it in the Batman, uh, the animated, uh, that Adam West one. That, you know, Freeze was just like a semi-sounding German guy who just, you know, stole diamonds and, you know, run around with a freeze gun, really. Yeah, made ice puns and... Yeah. <laughs> thank God, thank God that changed in the 90s. Yeah, exactly. Oh, thank, wait. Thank, good, thank goodness that was never brought back. Yes. <laughs> you lie! Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, Heart of Ice, it really, it changed Freeze into making him just like another... Run-of-the-mill run also ran uh, Bat Villains, who just, you know, was lost in the shuffle. And yeah. it made him unique in the fact that, you know, everybody talks about Batman's got one of the best, if not the best, probably the best, rogues gallery in comics. For my and, money, uh, does. Yeah, mm-hmm. And what makes Free so unique is that, you know, while most of the villains, pretty much all of them, are crazy. Uh, Freeze, actually, Freeze is not, I mean, he's not exactly 100% sane either. I'll argue that, of course, obviously, but um, yeah, but this, he's so he becomes a sympathetic villain. Like, I, like the only closest Bat villain I can think of being that sympathetic to is maybe Harvey Dent. You know, yeah, yeah but uh, at the same time, it's like Harvey Dent is so aggressive that it's like, yeah, essentially he does become a raving lunatic. Freeze never becomes that. He only he's a man driven by loss, just like Batman is. And exactly. it's, it, and, but it's a very subtle parallel too. Like it's not really. Yeah, subtle. it's they don't clobber you over the head with it, you know. No, no. I think what makes it more like different is the fact that, whereas Batman's loss is finite, you know, you know his parents will never be brought back. Like with Freeze, the the tiniest glimmer of hope that his wife could be brought back is what keeps him going, keeps him drive, you know, like dangling the carrot in front of his face, that desperation, so it causes him to become a criminal. Of course. Yeah, you know, yeah, and um, not necessarily loss, but trying to combat loss or trying to avoid loss. You yeah, because that was his entire origin was that he was a cryogeneticist who um, was looking to work in like he, his wife had a terminal disease and he put her under cryostasis, like like a freezing sort of chamber that would um, that would keep her that would keep her condition sort of held together while he went off and looked for a cure for disease. Yeah. And then eventually he could unfreeze her and have her cured. 
But yep. then, of course, things go awry, and he's accidentally smashed into um, these chemicals that alter his, you know, physiology so that he cannot withstand climates over zero degrees or or harsh, bitter, cold environments. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one thing too. I think really made the freeze character unique was like uh, I can't remember the guy. You know his name? I'm Michael, pretty sure the Michael and and Zara. Yeah, the voice actor for Freeze, like just like his delivery when he was Freeze. You know, your complaints have rendered me cold. You know, like the the, the like the stuff they give him very easily in a lesser actor or say for example Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> would be very punny and hammy. You know. Yeah. But he just delivers them, you know, like the whole thing. You know, I would still shed tears if I could, or something. I can't remember exactly what he says. It, yes, it would move me to tears if I had any left to shed. Like he, yeah, exactly. he honestly does, like this robotic monotone type thing. And that I think I've always loved about one it. thing that helps is like they run, I think they run his voice like a filter, or something makes it sound like you know he's talking, of course, well, with his headgear. Yeah, he's got like this giant bubble. On his yeah. thing. Fishbowl. Yeah, but it's like it's not done in a dumb way. Like, everything yeah. about that could have gone wrong. Even the fact that he's named Mr. Freeze, which is like one of the dumbest names. <laughs> Let's be the honest. The guy named Victor Freeze ends up, you know, with the Freeze gun. What are the odds? <laughs> it's like Otto Octavius becoming yeah. Octopus. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like, just, you know, that whole. I mean, I give Hard Ice props because, you know. I do think, like, some of the progression with Freeze, like, throughout later, you know, once they you know, had Sub-Zero, he kind of lost some of his effect, I think. Yeah, but um, and, but also, like, not only that, but the episode itself is fantastic, because, like, yeah. you have Batman dealing with a mystery, and you get to see him as, like, a detective working the whole Freeze angle, but at the same time, it's also got a lot of great action. Just, mm-hmm. overall, just well done. Like, yeah, I... I I kind of regret not putting it on my list now when I think about it. Uh, But yeah, like, you know, like I said, the Freeze character, he was reinvented, not just for the TV show, like, up until the New 52 where they tweaked it a little bit, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, they tweaked it, I think, maybe in some places they shouldn't have tweaked it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that character stayed around for 20 years, you know, the new Freeze with his sympathetic backstory. That's another thing that, you know, Paul Dini and folks that the anime series <clears throat> contributed to the main you know the comics yeah absolutely i mean honestly like every change they made i can't think of a really bad change they made except maybe like the snm gear that bane wore in the second season yeah or... I, I liked his the only thing I, his mask the, yeah, the that's, mask. That's, that was, yeah that's yeah that's mostly what i was talking about to be honest yeah. but you know it's a, maybe didn't he have like a dog collar too yeah, he had like spikes, which I, I, I could maybe, I could maybe deal with the mask. Just maybe the collar was a little bit over the top. Yeah, but uh, I mean, honestly, like when I think about changes they made from the comic books, they made genuine improvements in some places. Yeah. Like the relationship with Bruce and Alfred was a lot more fleshed out in that series, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, and you see sort of the effects of that, especially like when the Nolan films rolled around. You know, with the the repertoire, uh, not the repertoire, but the um, rapport between Bruce and Alfred, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, they influenced that, I think. But um, but yeah, Heart of Ice was one of my favorites. Uh, what about you? What What else do you have on your list? 
Uh, the next one I have is Dreams in Darkness, which is, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the other stories, you know, we've kind of mentioned how they're sort of, they deal with characters that are important to Batman's life. And, yeah. and him being seen through their eyes. Like, like Heart of Ice, is, they're very much Mr. Freeze's story. Over the Edge is more Gordon's story. Um, uh, almost got him as all the villains. But this one is exclusively Batman. Like, you see the whole idea, is Batman insane? Or what would he be like if he was insane? Because the whole time he's pursuing Scarecrow. And... As he's pursuing it, he he gets accidentally exposed to a low-level fear gas that he doesn't think affects him at first, but then he starts seeing all sorts of like trippy visions. Like at one point, he's working on the back computer in the back cave, and he sees the reflection of the Joker walking up on him, and he turns around and it's Alfred. Yeah, and it's like it's subtly done at first, and then it just gets more progressively out of control as the show goes on. And I always love the visuals from that because like at one point he looks down at a rat that scurries across the floor because he's in like the basement or Arkham and the rat looks up at him and he just morphs into the Joker and then you you <laughs> have this whole sequence where there's like giant versions of his worst enemies and it finally just pe- peels out and it's just Batman breathing on the floor and nobody's there like honestly yeah. um, it, I remember that yeah. you know cause I was like oh my god you know when I'm, I don't think it was the first time I saw it but I remember watching it you know, and like you, know, oh my God, Batman's going crazy. <laughs> and uh, you know, more to the point, like at one point he actually ends up in Arkham. That's how the episode starts: is is Batman in a cell in a straight yeah. jacket. I always wondered, like, they never thought to remove his mask. No, 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 they did. They did. They they. Oh, they did? Well, they tried to, and then the doctor said, no, 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 no. If you do that, it may even break him even further because he's held on uh. to this delusion. So, they, yeah, they start to, and it's like, that's, like, I mean, it's kind of a dumb excuse, but at the same time, it kind of works, so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it starts off, he's in a straitjacket, he's in a cell, he's rambling about the Scarecrow's plan, and you don't really know if the Scarecrow even has a plan, because he's so just, he's so angry and bitter about everything, like, he doesn't really, he's not really acting coerce or, or intelligible and you see everything like leading up to what happens and it's very much a mystery because you're not sure if Scarecrow actually did do anything or if it's just Batman tripping out on the gas but it actually does turn out to be Scarecrow of course yeah. and <laughs> everything works out but it's just such a great character examination because you see Batman at his absolute lowest and you know he even breaks out of Arkham and he has this whole thing where it's like I think that's the first time they ever showed like the implication that Thomas and Martha Wayne were murdered like he mm-hmm. sees that in a uh, he sees that in a dream sequence so yeah that that one is definitely one of my favorites what what would be the next one on yours um I was trying to think I, while yeah what we've been discussing I've been looking at my list and trying to I think one while I really enjoyed um, I think maybe it didn't need to be on the list, so I switched out with another one of my favorites. Not my favorites, but like my honorable mentions, and that would be um, Beware the Grey Ghost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that one is very... That one works on uh, many different levels, that episode does. 
because like you see first off you see Batman as a child and his love of uh, the Grey Ghost which is you know like an old uh, superhero masked Avengers show mm-hmm. back in the day and uh, it was kind of interesting because like it makes sense because like, they've always talked about how like you know supposedly Batman in the comics how he was a, Zorro he loves Zorro and Zorro was the film his parents took him to see yeah. how he was shot mm-hmm. um but um, then it works on another level that the guy that he had to cast, they cast as the Grey Ghost is Adam West. Yeah, and his character, Adam West's character in the show is a guy who has been typecast exactly by this superhero role that he can't escape from, and he's very embittered towards it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, if you cast Adam West, you'd think like it would be something like a bit humorous, but no, this one is a straight up serious as any Batman episode really. I remember um, last year I got a uh, uh, you know a few seasons of animated series on TV I mean on DVD and I watched that episode mm-hmm. uh, first time I watched it in years I remember that part where you know, he just you know, he can't pay his bills no one's hiring him and, like he's got all the great ghost memorabilia around he just starts laying into it you know mm-hmm. and I remember that just was so sad I mean like as a kid, I didn't really get it too much, but like, it just pulled at my heartstrings so bad. Mm. Just watching that, you know, it felt, yeah. I don't, I was, I was like 23 years old, about to cry. <laughs> but, that um, yeah. <laughs> and, um, of course, Over the Edge. Um, it's like the I, trifecta of things that get you emotional. Um,. But uh, and then another thing that's kind of interesting is that the story. There's a bad guy who's copying a plot from the old Grey Ghost serial. Yeah, and you know, that's, that's a, why he that's gets a, involved. That's why I always love that. Like, for a villain who's not from the comics and never really stuck around past one story, that's like a really good adversary for Batman. Yeah. Like, um, and which is kind of interesting too is I think. Oh, they they modeled the guys. You know his character after Bruce Tim. Well, not only that, but Bruce Tim voiced him. Oh, he did? I didn't know you voiced him. Yeah. Yeah, it was flat out just Bruce Tim, and he was playing, like, the ultimate fanboy of of uh, of the Grey Ghost, which is kind of ironic, given, you know, Bruce Tim is pretty hardcore Batman fan, I would say. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You know, if anyone's going to want to kill Adam West in a jealous rage, it's going to be Bruce Tim. <laughs> exactly. Or you and I. Yeah, I guess so. Like, like, one day Adam West is going to turn out dead, and the first three suspects will be you, me, and Bruce Tim. Yeah, exactly. And then Bruce Tim mysteriously disappears, like off to Guatemala. I wonder. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, but, and you also get to see Adam West and Kevin Conroy, two Batman, team up. Exactly. I don't think any, there's ever been like that's never happened to anything else, has it? Like I know Adam West has done some voice work for other Batman shows, and so has Kevin Conroy. Well, yeah, there was a brief moment in Brave and the Bold where he was Thomas Wayne and he was fighting mobsters alongside Diedrich Bader's Batman, but uh, that's oh, yeah. but that's like the only other one I can think of. Like, there's never been anything with like Michael Live Ke- action like guys, Michael yeah. Keaton's never come back to the universe. Val Kilmer has never, but. Yeah, Adam West and Kevin Conroy. They're the two. And also, um, <laughs> also, there's one moment from that episode where Batman still has a shrine of the Grey Ghost in the Batcave. Yes, it's kind of it's kind of creepy if you think about it. <laughs> it is. 
I know. That, I mean, considering he's a you know a grown man that dresses like a bat, for him to have all that gray ghost memorabilia, especially in the Batcave of all places. But I kind of maybe can get that because you know the gray ghost was his inspiration. Yeah. And so it's there as like a constant reminder, maybe <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I not only that, it constant reminder of his war and like maybe his childhood, the childhood that he was robbed of, you know. Yeah. By his parents' murder, you could you could argue that. Yeah, but it's still funny to imagine like Batman's like jumping down and squeeing. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> He's in the back. He's in my home. Oh my god. They don't they don't show the deleted scene, but I imagine the deleted scene is while Adam West's character's not looking. Batman takes like a clipping of his hair <laughs> and just keeps it in like a small glass container. It's anytime he's feeling down, like he's discouraged, he sniffs it. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe like, maybe he gives uh, the Grey Ghost one of his bat suits, and then he dresses as Robin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's oh, it's a it's a really well done episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Nice love letter to like just maybe the whole idea of Batman as a whole or you know and it's a not just Batman many things yeah like, and just Adam West the, Mo- the Adam West TV show and Adam West yeah, as a person mm-hmm. and which is um, ironic because like later in life he would find better success through, uh, Adam West yeah through family yeah, guy as, and all that as playing himself <laughs> which is all which is kind of amazing in itself because he's kind of become his own character yeah. Um, which is interesting. There's a story that I've told you this a few times, but I've never mentioned on the podcast. But I, I've got a friend, or I had a friend. I'll say that. And one day we were talking about Adam West, and he didn't realize Adam West was a real person. He thought Adam West was a fictional character who was the mayor of Quahog and Family Guy. He had no idea that Adam West was Batman in the 1960s. I hope that after you learn this, you promptly took a blunt instrument, bashed this guy over the head, and then bashed him a couple times more and then hit his body somewhere. What I did was my face went rigid. I slowly backed out of the room, slowly backed out of the house, slowly backed up into my car, slowly backed out of the driveway, slowly backed out home, and never saw him again. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting. I impressed that I drove, slowly drove backwards home. It was like a 30-mile drive to my house. Yeah, yeah, that is, that is pretty impressive. <laughs> How do you not know who Adam West is? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I should probably get along with my next one. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of weird to put this one on there, but for, for whatever reason, I've always loved this episode. Uh, Robin's Reckoning, which is a two-parter, but I, oh, I just yeah. counted um, it as one. Yeah, because that's like the first time that, like, in any other media other than comics, that Robin's origin has been displayed. Yeah, and not only that, but it's like, it's one of the best, most adult portrayals of the Robin character. Because yeah. you, you uh, see him going out on his own at one point, and, you know, it's very much, he's, Batman's not the Dark Avenger of this, he's Robin. Because, exactly, and he's trying to, he's having to pull Robin back, you know. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, he desperately doesn't want him to face the guy that murdered his parents because he's just afraid of what he'd become if he, you know, eventually got his hands on Zuko. But you, one thing, I think what the thing that I loved the most about it was actually the fact that you got to see Batman 
in his early days. Like you got to see Bruce Wayne when he was just starting out. You got to see Gordon with like the red hair, and you also got to see like yeah. the year one suit. You got to see him wearing like the pouched belt and all that. But at the same um, time, it was like the early days before any of the super villains. It felt like there's something I've always wondered. Like cur- I've always been curious about the episode. Like like uh, in the canon, where does that fall? Because you know when Batman first started, you know he was by himself for a lot of stuff, and then Robin shows up. He's a teenager. You know he's you know late early to well he's like in college at that point when they really start to show him good. But then they flash back, and he looks like he's like 12 when they first show him. Yeah. You know, where, how does that exactly work? Well, I mean, this I would say that the Robin's Reckoning stuff like took place after like Mask of the Phantasm when he first becomes Batman. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about like Mask of the Phantasm. See, I forgot that's in canon, too, because all the direct-to-video stuff, yeah. yeah oh, well, it wasn't direct-to-video, but... It's kind of weird because it's like the series betrays portrays uh, the Batman character as being kind of a few years, only a few years into his career, because he's meeting all the supervillains for the first time. Except, like, the Joker and stuff like that. But, yeah. yeah, Obviously, he's got many years under his belt, because, you know, Robin had to grow up and become an established character, and Mm -hmm. you know, all those years had to pass for Andrea Beaumont to come back as Phantasm. Yeah. Spoil Um, there for that. And I do like that (laughs) <laughs> no, you ruined a, what, 17-year-old film. I think over that at this point, maybe. I think it's, I th- yeah, I think it's like 19 years old. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, one thing that, that was interesting, like you mentioned about Rob, maybe that made sense. Like, introduced him as a teenager, already established, and then, like in a later episode, flashback to his origin. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that worked, you know, the way they did it. Yeah, yeah, I... There's just so much about that series that I love, but that episode in general, it's like, it's a great exploration of the Batman and Robin relationship, and that episode right there disproves every cynic that has ever said Robin doesn't fit in the Batman universe. Exactly. Um, one of the, the best thing I liked about this episode was uh, the fact that Tony Zuko is voiced by Biff from Back to the Future. <laughs> You know, I kept waiting for, like, Tony Zuko to call Robin a butthead or something. Yeah, exactly. And also, why don't, you, Bat- know- why don't you and Batman make, like, a tree and get out of here? <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, and honestly, with all the talk that we said of Kevin Conroy and, and Mark Hamill, I still believe that Lauren Lester is a fantastic decoration. Like he really brought yeah. cre- he really put uh, credibility to that character, and yet kept him youthful. And then even when he turned into Nightwing in the later series, it was like it was a progressive thing. Mm-hmm. And that was another case of like you know like we like they did with Robin. You know, they showed him as Nightwing first, and then like another episode, they're like you know how exactly did you become Nightwing? Yeah, yeah. Which is actually a, something else I'm going to talk about. But okay. let's get to yours first. Um, as far as my top five, we've said all my top five. Um, almost got them. We mentioned Over the Edge was yours, Robin's Reckoning was yours, and Beware the Great Ghost and Heart of Ice. I've went through mine, but um, I would mention one of my favorite uh, honorable honorable mentions, um, <clears throat> which is uh, it's a new Batman Adventures episode, um, which is Legends of the Dark Knight. Oh yeah, um, which is a nice little like. A vignette, I guess you call it, 
mm-hmm. episode. Like really, Batman is like only like the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. The real Batman, like Batman, yeah. and, Batman and all his rogues gallery, are kind of they're kind of a presence, but it's mostly a story about three kids that you know that live in Gotham, and you know Batman's still an urban legend. They say, well, well, you know, here's what Batman's really like because they've never you know encountered him. Yeah, like they go through like um. The if a couple of that well two of the eras two of the you know more famous eras of Batman which is you know the first they do the the crazy Jerry Robinson fifties uh, Batman and Robin you know with the the Joker Robin the music museum with all the big instruments yeah and the puns and actually which is kind of interesting because like the actors they got in these voices to trace some of these guys they did an excellent job I can't remember the name of the guy who did Batman. But, no, I can't either. Actually, uh, Michael McKeon does the Joker. His Joker is, I mean, it I mean, it fits perfectly with the tone and the style that they were going for with that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it's very played up for camp and laughs, but it's, at the same time, it's, like, really compelling, to be honest. Exactly. Like, it's, I'd, I'd actually like to see, like, a whole show done in that style. Ne- never has, a, you know, a, a grown man and a child being almost crushed by a piano being more riveting. Yeah, and uh, Batman defeating the Joker by blowing a giant saxophone and nearly deafening <laughs> him. Uh, but yeah, there was there was the Jerry Robinson 50s one. And speaking of, like, on-the-nose casting, then one of the, the other uh, thing they showed, the fantasy of Batman, is, you know, the homage to Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns and they get the perfect guy to be Batman Frank Miller's Batman Michael Ironside the, you know, the voice of uh, Darkseid 10 years later without a doubt like one of the greatest honestly that whole Dark Knight Returns thing is like one of the greatest moments of the entire series and and they take quotes verbatim from the comic yeah nothing like nothing really deviates like there's a line here mm. and there but it's mostly just straight out of straight out of the comic and even the style like the art style which is another thing that was from the uh, Robinson one they translated mm-hmm. the designs perfectly but even more so in the Dark Knight Returns because it's like you have the tank Batmobile you have the mutant leader um, you have all the mutants with the like the spiked yeah uh, and um, the two guys where their name's Bob and something yeah Rick, well, my it's like two guys that have these my name is Bob shirts or my yeah. name is Rick or something like that. And uh, they they provide kind of a comic relief. But, you know, you also have, you know, the Carrie Kelly Robin. And, yeah. And the older Batman, and he actually gets into that fight in the mud with the mutant leader and has that brilliant line at the end of it. Yeah. You don't get it, son. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table, and I'm the surgeon. Yeah. Oh, God. No As line. lightning cracks and mud drips off of his face. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, they show those two things. Those two, like, you know, fantasies of the kids. And then there's a great little jab in there, you know, <laughs> to the Joel Schumacher films, whereas... You know, the kids are walking down the street, and they encounter this boy. This effeminate, kind of effeminate boy. Like he's outside. He's playing with, like, a fur coat. He's like, are you guys talking about Batman? 
uh, he's cool. You know, he, I hear he he wears a rubber suit. You know, with with those with those muscles on it, and he has a car that can drive up walls. <laughs> one of the kids is like, "Shut up, Joel." <laughs> exactly. And at one point, he waves his hair to the side. Yeah, <laughs> and um, he's also outside a store named Shoemakers, which is English for Schumacher. That's what <laughs> Schumacher means in German. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, the, just overall, like I think that's one of those other, you know, one of those episodes that very nostalgic. It's like a love letter to Batman that has come before, you know. Absolutely, and the series as a whole did a ton of that. Yeah. And then, then subsequently created its own moments that stood the test of time as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, my next pick is something that was actually like one of the rare times that you had the writer who wrote the original story in the comics come in and write the teleplay for this. And that is the Demon's Quest, which is the two-parter that introduces Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. See, I never knew that Denny O'Neill wrote that episode. See, it's been so long since I've seen it. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and not only that, but he updates it to the point where it fits in that universe. And um, you know, there was an episode before this that had Talia Al Ghul as sort of yeah, a, um, as sort of an espionage type figure who figures out Batman's identity. Um, that's uh, off balance. The one with Count Vertigo. Yeah, and then and they also. Yeah, you know, they foreshadow race in that one too. Yeah, because you have him at the end speak on a yeah. monitor, and it's voiced by the same guy who voices him in the subsequent episodes, David Warner. Yeah, and I remember it because it was the first time I had ever seen Ra's al Ghul in any medium whatsoever, mm-hmm. and it was just Me such too. a it was just such an amazing villain because you know he's not a guy who. And I talked about this in the first Bat Month episode, but he's not a guy who is out to destroy the world. He's out to cleanse it and genuinely wants to make it better. Yeah, he just... he's, he's... I think he's... He's not... He He's something like you don't see much with Batman. He's a villain on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. You know, like Superman has um, Green Lantern has more than a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green Lantern, most like... Most of Batman... I don't think Green Lantern um, has a single grounded villain. Well, maybe yeah, Blackhand I mean, or something like that. Maybe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, you know, this is something that's very interesting because of the character. I think we talked about this. He was sort of made to be... He was created in the time when James Bond was popular. He sort of... You, he's a character you could very much see in a James Bond film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, he has such a great theme because it's like, you know, Head of the Demon is what his, his uh-huh. uh, name means. And that's... You know, that's the entire point of his Cold of Assassins, which are the League of Assassins in the comic books. That he has this entire guild of ninjas at his disposal, these warriors. That um, even in, you know, the Nolan series ended up being the people to train Batman to be Batman. But this version of the character is 100% the character that is in the comics. And it also presents, like, the first, like, major story outside of Gotham, I would say. Like, the first story that takes Batman around the world. Mm-hmm. And that was always very interesting to see, because you see Batman solve these very out-of-the-ordinary problems. Like, at one point, he fights a tiger. Or a panther <laughs> or something. No, he fights a panther. Um, and he ends up gassing it with his cape. And it's all... 
the reveal at the end of that episode, of that first episode, is so well done because it's like to a guy, to someone who's never read the comics, it's like you would not see that coming. Exactly. I don't think. Yeah, like, I, know, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. No, neither did I, and it was just so well done. But David Warner, I don't think you could get much more perfect than that for the voice, except maybe you know Liam Neeson. <laughs> I will find you. I will kill you, Batman. <laughs> it's like you were dumb enough to kidnap the daughter of the King of Narnia, the guy who trained Obi Wan Kenobi and Batman, and the yeah, leader of the A Team. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, but um, yeah, I just always love that. Not only that, but for the interaction between Batman and not just Raish, but Talia as well, because you know she's very much portrayed as someone who is caught between her father's ambitions and her love for Batman, which is very. Yeah, much... I think I think it's kind of like like what she works best at, like especially like in the comics, she's kind of. She sort of becomes sort of her own lady, you know, which is cool, but I always like like her, you know, like that, like you said, conflict between love and family. Yeah, because it, it paints her in a more uh, good light. Like, right now in the comics, she's flat out a super villainess, but, yeah. um, like, when she's portrayed as, you know, an innocent, only following her father's wishes, like, I, I always like that aspect of the character. And then... You know, you also have a really great adventure story where it's like it, it starts out as a search for Talia and Robin, but you know it ends up being an elaborate plan for Bat for Race to see if Batman is a worthy successor. He rejects him and then has to stop him from this world domination plot, and it's like it's just so cool. It honestly just it's yeah, I could watch that episode again and again, both of them. So what? Yeah. Um, hmm. Um, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I mean, I'm blank. Don't you? I, you said it all, man. What can I say? <laughs> what is there to say? Uh. Uh-uh. Except I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully, what otherwise we would have to come to blows. I'll say this about the episode, two-part episode. Pretty neat. Pretty neat. The Birdman. Okay. So what's the next one? That you, um, the, the final one. As um. We- for me, I guess, like, my last, like, uh, I've got a few more, but, like, really the only one that probably ranks for me just to get out there would be uh, The Laughing Fish. And so this episode is very, like, a very interesting episode because, like, you've always seen Joker try to do these big plots to destroy Gotham, do all this stuff. But, like, in The Laughing Fish, he kind of does in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like... Like, it's, it's kind of the first time that you see Joker as a legitimate threat in this series, because, you know, he's going around and he has this plan, this really offbeat plan, which I always loved about it, because he, he poisons the water supply so that the fish are poisoned and have, like, this grin, and they're pale and white and, you know, yellow-eyed. Essentially, he turns them into him, and Batman yeah. finds them. And his whole plan, his whole scheme is to try and do a copyright for this, for these fish. Like, it's something out of the 60s series, but it's done in such a noir <laughs> way, too. Like, yeah. it's it's kind of the brilliance of that episode. And, and also, it's based off of a comic book. The uh, Well, part partially it's based off The Laughing Fish, but it's also based off of uh, Joker's Fibroid Revenge by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams, 
Which is where, like, the whole Batman versus the shark thing comes from. Yeah. Um, and one of the one of the more, I guess, disturbing things in that episode is that how Alfred gets affected by the Joker gas, you know? No, 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 Al- Alfred doesn't. It's, uh... He doesn't? Dang, which one is that that he does, then? It's a, it's a, it's one of the guys that Joker is hunting. I don't know who it is, but Batman's dressed up like him in the scene, and then he's dressed up as Batman, so they kind of, they're kind of... Yeah, trying... that's what it is. Yeah, that, that's just so disturbing Like when he starts to laugh, you remember? Oh, I could not watch that scene for like the first <laughs> few years of my life because it was just so disturbing to see Batman suddenly just... He's cut down, and then all of a sudden he just starts laughing really uncontrollably. Like, something about it is just so unsettling. Like, I, I don't know what it was, but yeah, it's... I think it's, I think it's the lips. Like, if you notice in the scene, his lips like really weird looking yeah. as he's laughing. Yeah, Batman and unla- Batman laughing looks unnatural. Yeah, and it's like it's not in Kevin Conroy's voice. It's like in a really high pitched voice. So it's like it's weird. Like I, I don't know how to describe it, but you know, it's also a brilliant, pretty brilliant setup where it's like it's actually the victim, the Joker's intended victim, dressed up as Batman, and then Batman's dressed up as the victim himself, and then yeah. he. And then he proceeds to actually change within like the span of a second back into Batman. He's Clark Kent. Surprise. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I think what struck me the most about this episode is just how dark of a palette it is on, if that makes sense. Because it's like they're all dull colors and they're all like dull blues and stuff like that. Um, even yeah, like man. the like aquarium, which is where the final fight takes place, and uh, just just it's it's fantastic. And it was the I think it was the first and only episode really directed by Bruce Tim himself. Um, one thing that always sticks for me about the episode is the music. Something about the music in the episode it's very unique. Like it's like I remember when they first like, the episode first started. It was like this strange like funky always kind of like beat this plan you know mm-hmm. throughout, throughout the beginning of the episode and what's what's funny is that it's the only episode that starts off without any music because like you you the first shot of that series or the first shot of that episode is the sign that has the smiling fish and it just says the laughing fish under it yeah instead of like a title card or something yeah title card they use I don't think like, it has one of those yeah yeah that was I like a mainstay in that series, except for yeah, that episode. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the music is... It's kind of weird, but at the same time, it's kind of cool. And then it gets, like, progressively darker. Yeah, I mean, that... Yeah. Yeah, and the visuals in it, too, are fantastic. Because, you know, Bruce Tim is an art guy. So, of course, you know, you're going to have more of a visual-based... Visually-based <laughs> episode. Yeah. And you also get like great Bullock moments too, which, you know, you we're both yeah, yeah, we're both I a mean, sucker for Bullock. Exactly, uh, he he's not as high up on my list as Jim, but yeah, it was always it was always funny seeing Bullock. Like um, I remember a great moment in uh, was it Mask of the Phantasm? They show Bullock as a patrolman. Mm-hmm. For a little bit when he wrecks his patrol car, but I always like that moment. I just that just come to me. I know non sequitur moment, but you know, hey, we're talking about the anime series, so any and all 
following the umbrella term. Sorry. Absolutely. I think, honestly, like that's a good note to sort of wrap up on, is that if there's a Bob the Goon of the series, or if there's a, you know, Knox of the series, I think it's Bullock, because that from that moment on in the comics, I think that version of Bullock mm-hmm. resonated, because, you know, Robert Costanzo's dialogue, I always hear his dialogue when <laughs> yeah, in the I, comic books. I, I thought about that when I was reading, like the first time I read uh, Ark in Gotham Central, that features Bullock very heavily. Mm-hmm. That's the voice I kept hearing, and it's yes, yeah, that's another thing too they contributed because like Bullock before that was really, he was kind of a semi-dirty cop, you know. Uh, his main weapon was clumsiness. He pretended to be like a really incompetent detective to slow Gordon and the cops down. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never read any of uh, Bullock's early appearances, but suffice to say, he turned into much more of a respectable figure. And, yeah, uh, much more respect. Very interesting character. He's a character that, you know, for all intents and purposes, you think's dirty, you know, just by the way he acts and the stuff he does. But he's a very, you know, he's just as straight as Gordon. Yeah, and the thing, especially. I would say, oh, go ahead. Uh, okay, I would say he's probably even more straighter than Gordon, just because of his dislike of Batman. You know, his refusal to work with vigilantes. You know. Yeah, and that's played up to the hilt in the animated series because you know he mm-hmm. very often goes against Batman. Like he, they have conflict, and you know you kind of buy where Bullock's coming from, but at the same time, you know Gordon. I mean Bullock obviously is kind of a kind of incompetent. Like he's playing and, up this kind of the uh, doofus. Yeah, and I do like that they did that with Bullock because it makes sense. Like really, like before then, like you'd seen that. Pretty much everybody at the police force accepted Batman, you know, even in the the live action films, you know, once Batman, you know, after he gets the bat signal in the Burton films, you know, they're just, you know, he's going wherever he wants to, you know. It makes sense that, you know, just because the commissioner's on board doesn't mean everybody's going to trust a guy dressed as a bat, you know. Yeah, yeah, and Harvey Bullock was certainly, like, the best representation of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just... Just going back to the cast, it's like it's that that series was just so well cast. It's insane. Like you would think they would have one link, link. Like no, no, they don't really. Not, not that I can think of. Hmm. No, I can't think of one either. It's like it was just. But you know, it was just a great time to be a Batman fan in 1992. And that's what I wanted to say about Batman in the late 90s. When you know all hopes seem lost with the Schumacher films, you know there was Batman, the animated series, you know Batman Beyond, Justice League. They helped get us through the bad some of the times. darkest times. Exactly. Just it, like like Harvey Dent said, you know it's always darkest just before the dawn. Exactly, and that dawn is coming next week as we delve into more Bat Month. So it's exactly. Until we slide down the bat poles for another installment, farewell, Boy Wonder. Farewell, Cape Crusader. This has been Bat Month. Hey, I don't get it. 
You just knocked out Catwoman and left her? Oh, come on, Crockers. Didn't I say there's more than one way to get someone? Even as I speak, Catwoman is being trussed up at the Pussykin's pet food factory. First thing tomorrow, I'm sending a lovely case of cat food to Batman. <laughs> I don't think so. Was it something I said? <laughs> Well, well, an imposter in our midst. Risking everything for your kitty, Batman? You're not getting out of this one. Maybe. But I'm not bad with traps myself. Did you think you were rid of us? One can only hope, I guess. We're like a bad case of herpes. Yeah, exactly. We always come back stronger, and we sting a little bit more every time. And we're always on your face for some reason. Yeah, it's weird, but no, we're actually doing uh, an old bit of ours that we had retired a little bit ago. We, we retired it in, in its prime. We did this like the first episode, and we never visited it again. Yeah, exactly, and it felt like for Bat Month especially, it needed to come back. So, here's a scene from Batman Forever in Burden MB's acting theater. I hope you made extra. Oh, me? I'm just a friend, but you can call me the Riddler, motherfucker. Oh, but then if I talked... Won't keep you from killing me anyway, you segregated-looking bitch. By the way, that shit ain't ever gonna heal if you don't stop picking it, motherfucker. Oh, I don't see if you beat me. Harvey, I don't think it's me you really want to kill. That'd be too easy for someone as powerful as you. And you, you know, but, but Batman, you know. <laughs> There's a challenge. Kill the bat, huh? Sounds like a good idea, don't it? But have you thought through a few bullets, quick splash of blood, and then what, motherfucker? Wet hands, some post-homicidal bullshit, you know, you crying like a bitch. Why not humiliate him first, you know? Expose his frailties, and then when he's as wicked, crush that asshole into the ground.
I see that sprinkle in your left eye. I can help you get Batman. But that's only if you spare my life just for a few moments, asshole. Hmm. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now let's go ahead and plan on how to secure this motherfucker. Yes, he deserves to die, and I hope he burns in hell.